You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here on the 16th day of October 2020. You're tuned into episode 387 of the Corporate Report podcast, your guide to the Great Reset. Now, I'm sure that everyone in my core audience has already at least heard of the Great Reset, but if you haven't, fret not. Today we're going to go through it in a great degree of detail, and let's start by defining our terms, specifically what is the Great Reset. Well, what better place to go for such a definition than straight to the horse's mouth? And in this case, the horse is Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive director of the World Economic Forum, who announced the Great Reset Initiative from the World Economic Forum in June of this year. It is obvious that we are in the midst of the most severe crisis the world has experienced since World War II. 75 years ago, countries and people came together to shape the post-war global order, which brought us decades of peace, increased global cooperation and prosperity to hundreds of millions of people around the world. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion, and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. I'm not sure whether that was meant to be hilarious or terrifying, but either way, I think Klaus Schwab should probably get in touch with his agent. I hear there's an opening for a villain in the next Bond flick. But yes, as Dr. No was informing us there, The Great Reset is about transforming society by harnessing technology to build back better and all the other buzzwords and catchphrases that have been thrown at us over the last several months of this generated crisis. And if one wants to play a particularly difficult drinking game that will assure that you end up staggeringly drunk very quickly, you could take that Great Reset launch video from the World Economic Forum and take a shot every time you hear one of these buzzwordy, feel-good catchphrases about sustainability or inclusivity or equality uh, during these speeches about the Great Reset. Inclusion 
and equality. Equal, inclusive, and sustainable. Sustainable. More inclusive. More inclusive. More inclusive. Financial inclusion. Sustainable. Equal footing. Sustainable. Equal. Sustainably. Sustainable. 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 A more sustainable path. More sustainable and more inclusive. Sustainable. A sustainable economy sustainability more sustainable sustainability sustainability sustainable development goals sustainable more inclusive uh, world are you thoroughly blind stinking drunk yet yeah i thought so well if all of that mealy-mouthed political blather has done absolutely nothing to tell you anything of substance about what the great reset actually is don't worry after having plowed through more of this material than any human being should ever be forced to plow through, I can summarize the Great Reset in a sentence. Because it turns out, at base, the Great Reset is nothing more and nothing less than a great propaganda marketing rollout campaign for a new brand that the would-be global elite are trying to shove down the public's throats. And I say that advisedly. This is essentially a marketing campaign that specifically Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are attempting to orchestrate right now, but in conjunction with their various cronies in various institutions and organizations around the globalist jet-set world. And you can buy into this new brand in many different ways. You can read the Great Reset book. You can visit the Great Reset website. You can participate in the Great Reset Dialogues, asterisk, you need to have seven or maybe eight figures in your bank account before you can even start thinking about participating in that dialogue, but you can participate in the Great Reset Dialogues. Uh, you can collect the Great Reset Coronavirus plushie. Oh, no, sorry, that was Event 201, I always get that confused. Um, but you can, as Peter Quinones pointed out in my recent conversation about The Great Reset on the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, you can subscribe to The Great Reset podcast. Yes, the World Economic Forum is putting out a regular podcast series talking about the various ways our world is going to be reset by the elitists. And what other podcast could you turn to, for example, to hear the likes of Skull and Bonesman John Kerry haranguing you about how your life society, everything about the way you live and the way you interact is going to change forever. And so this is a big moment. And the World Economic Forum, the, the CEO capacity of the World Economic Forum is going to have to really play a front and center role in defining the reset in a way that nobody misinterprets it as just taking us back to where we were. And to what other podcast could you turn in order to be assured that this shock doctrine has had its effect and that a Stockholm Syndrome-prone public will now believe any perceived health crisis or crisis in general that they try to shove down our throats? Because of the shock that everyone has been through with the global pandemic taking us into a completely different whole of world economic shock in a way that we've not really seen for a very, very long time. That has focused minds on how important it is to treat these big systemic threats like climate change as real. And whereas before they were kind of a theoretical thing that might happen sometime in the future. From the business end, there is a sense of businesses coming to the investor base, coming to investors like us and saying, will you back us if we do? 
So I am optimistic that the conversations have moved far more in the last six months, as I said before, than they have in the last six years or more. And where else could we go to learn about what a fun joy it is to live our lives by a video link-up by the likes of Grover? Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable pal Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. Well, you are in luck because I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. Now that is a very big job. Well, my friend Ms. Sherry Weston and I are here to help. On Sesame Street, we know that it is very important for children to learn and play every day. And because playtime is so important, we have been thinking of ways to help children all over the world learn and play at home. At first, it was hard when nobody could go to school, and I could not visit my friends like Elmo or, well, even Oscar the Grouch. Then we learned to have video playtime, which was a lot of fun and made us feel better. Oh yeah, rest assured, the World Economic Forum and their cronies have propaganda for the whole family. Yeah, so things get pretty weird pretty quick here. And there is a lot that we could go into with regards to this Great Reset. But in the interest of trimming it down, as I say, I have subjected myself to all sorts of this propaganda that they've been putting out uh, via the World Economic Forum about the Great Reset. And I have distilled this whole agenda down to a few very key points that I think we need to stress as we delve into what this Great Reset is really about. So I have four main points that are the kind of takeaway from my research on this. Number one, the absolute first thing we have to keep in mind with the Great Reset is that this has nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing to do with any sort of virus or disease or anything of the sort. Nothing. Let me triple underline and put a few exclamation marks after that word. Nothing. This is not... They do, at this point, as the Great Reset podcast, for example, has gone on, it's become less and less they're even pretending this has anything to do with COVID-19. Uh, some of the latest podcasts might have COVID-19 in the title, but they barely even give it a mention. No, this is not about any sort of disease or virus, or anything of the sort. Don't let them convince you otherwise. And I understand that most of my core audience will already know this, but I think it is important to keep this in the forefront of our consciousness as we approach this propaganda, because it is very easy to get bought in, even at a subconscious level, that, oh, there is some sort of, there's some sort of transformational event that has taken place that is necessitating this great reset that they're talking about. We kind of buy in at a subconscious level just because that is the only narrative that is thrust in our face. But that is absolutely not the case. Zero percent does this have anything at all to do with health or, or any sort of perceived health crisis, ginned up, fake, or otherwise. Uh, and 
I think there are reasons why the Great Reset is taking place in this time frame at this moment. For example, you can go back to my podcast on uh, questions for Corbett, where I talked about pandemic foreknowledge, and we talked about some of the the monetary and uh, financial reasons why some sort of reset was going to be taking place in this time frame. I talked about John Titus uh, about that, for example, talking about the Federal Reserve and the moves they were making last September that showed there were some tectonic shifts that were taking place in global financial and monetary uh, markets that necessitated some sort of maneuver that was going to happen this year one way or another. Well, We've seen it happen, and they're using COVID-19 as the cover, but obviously that is a cover. So keep that point in mind. Number two, the second thing we have to keep in mind, uh, related to that first point, that just as this has nothing to do with any sort of virus or health crisis, this is a coordinated agenda that has been years in the making. This has been going on for a very long time. This is not some sort of slapdash thing they're just putting together in response to this crisis this year. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. It is a part of a longer-term agenda. And when you boil it down, this is just a fresh coat of lipstick on a very old pig. This is the New World Order, just redefined. It's just a new label for it. And actually, that speaks to one of the important points of what's going on here, is that the Great Reset is seems to be a very effective label of some sort. It has some sort of cachet, and a, a number of people in the general public have heard about it at this point. So it is, it is working as some sort of marketing tool for the very old ideas of centralization of control in fewer hands, globalization, transformation of society through Orwellian surveillance technologies, etc., you 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 might know that through that crazy conspiracy term, New World Order. Well, here's a new term for it, the Great Reset. And now we can use that term until that term gets muddied and, you know, we can proceed with that. I think there is also some intra-elitist uh, factional rivalry that goes on here. Uh, for example, I've noted before in the past that Davos, the annual World Economic Forum soiree that they hold in uh, Geneva every uh, or in Davos every every year, is essentially it's it's Bilderberg light or something like that. I mean it's it's kind of the the for the hoi polloi of the would be super elites. It's you know you can get thousands of people there that hobnob and mingle and yeah some movers and shakers like the Bill Gateses of the world etc. Bill Gates always always appears at Davos to make some sort of big announcement launching the decade of vaccines or what have you, um, but. That's it's not exactly the elite of the elite. You know, that would be more like a Bilderberg or Trilateral Commission or one of those types of events. Davos was so, somewhat further down on the list. When you think New World Order, World Economic Forum probably ranks a few rungs below some of those other organizational bodies. Well, perhaps this is an attempt by Klaus Schwab to angle the World Economic Forum somewhere higher up on that hierarchy and somewhere closer to the top of that power pyramid. And hey, look, it's the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum is the driver behind this. So I think there is some of that intra-factional rivalry that, that is going on here, but it is the same agenda, more or less. And it involves a lot of the same players. Um, some of the key people who are being highlighted in this, of course, Klaus Schwab, um, but also his Royal Highness, Prince Charles, 
is all over this and is doing a number of things in conjunction with the World Economic Forum related to this Great Reset. Also, the uh, the current head of the uh, the IMF and uh, some other players are clearly rising in prominence. Um, I know the president of MasterCard keeps coming into these conversations and has been uh, there for a few years. He's an interesting one to keep your eye on. So uh, again, I think this is part of trying to get that Great Reset label as the new New World Order so that the people associated with that can be in the driver's seat of this globalist enterprise. The third thing that I think we need to keep in mind about this whole Great Reset agenda is that this is not, as some people were positing at the time when this generated crisis started to get kicked off several months ago, the end of globalization. No, no, no. As I've stressed over and over, this is not the end of globalization. Uh, it is its apotheosis in so many different ways. And don't take it from me, take it from Klaus Schwab and his co-author on COVID-19, The Great Reset, the book, uh, where you can read along on the Kindle version, page 104, uh, where he writes that in this messy new world order, defined by a shift towards multipolarity and intense competition for influence, the conflicts or tensions will no longer be driven by ideology, with the partial and limited exception of radical Islam. Of course, you got to keep the Muslim boogeyman up your sleeve. That's always, I mean, it's not like they're completely replacing the 9-11 terror paradigm. They're just eclipsing it. But spurred by nationalism and the competition for resources. If no one power can enforce order, our world will suffer from a global order deficit. Think about that. Reread that sentence. If no one power can enforce order, our world will suffer from a global order deficit. Unless individual nations and international organizations succeed in finding solutions to better collaborate at the global level, we risk entering an age of entropy in which retrenchment, fragmentation, anger, and parochialism will increasingly define our global landscape, making it less intelligible and more disorderly. End quote. A number of revealing things from that statement. One, to note that in the globalist lexicon, in the minds of these would-be sociopathic controllers and rulers of the world, order is good. Disorder is bad. That is the way that they see the world. Order. We must have order in order to, in order to, to have our global world order. I mean, you, it's in the name. You can't have a global world order without order. And furthermore, the one step further in this is that if no one power can enforce order, there has to be one unitary power that can enforce order, which, as you will know, is, of course, exactly opposite to everything I propound and everything I work for here at The Corporate Report, which is the voluntary, uh, voluntary spontaneous order that arises when free people can interact freely with each other, the globalization of reality where people can interact with anyone they want in whatever form they voluntarily choose to act with each other. No, 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 no. We can't have that horrible, terrible disorder, aka spontaneous order. No, no, no. We must have one unitary power enforcing order. And hey, how about the World Economic Forum? Um, Anyway, I think that's a very revealing statement, but it goes to show that no, they're going to use this crisis to increase the pressure for globalization, global cooperation. 
oh, yes, we still... He goes on in, in a different passage to talk about how, well, well nation-states are the basis for globalization. We need nation-states so that we have these big troughs that can then congregate and cooperate together through the United Nations and other organizations. They're, they're two sides of the same coin, which is, in fact, actually what I've always argued, that nationalism and globalism are two sides of the same coin. It is getting people to subsume their identity in some sort of vague, amorphous collective, worship this flag, and then just change the flag. And now, instead of your national flag, now it's the UN flag. Continue worshiping the flag, and people can continue along as if almost nothing has changed. Globalism and nationalism are two buttresses that are holding up the structure of this world order, and uh, that's why it's so important to them. So this is not the end of globalization. It, it, there, there will be changes in terms of geopolitical order, etc., but this is, as I say, the apotheosis of globalism. This is its absolute pinnacle. Um, and the fourth takeaway that we have to take generally from all of this is that this Great Reset, this, this process, this isn't meant to end. They are not planning this with some sort of end goal in mind per se, or at the very least, certainly not the one that they are ostensibly giving. Because remember, this is the Great Reset in response to COVID-19. So surely when COVID-19 is solved through therapeutics or vaccines... Yes, when the vaccines are rolled out and we all get the vaccine and everybody's fine and COVID-19 is no more, then everything will go away. A great reset will stop. We'll be okay. We'll be all right at that point, right? No, of course not. Again, explicitly, they are not doing this with that kind of end goal in mind. And the people who still continue to believe in the phony ridiculous ritual of voting and selections as this is what transforms society. No, I, I hate to break it to you, but whatever happens in the phony baloney selection cycle in the United States in November, no matter what Team Coke or Team Pepsi gets into power, this Great Reset is not coming to an end either. So uh, it is important, again, to keep this in the forefront of our mind, to understand that this is, again, not some sort of slapdash effort or some sort of all hot air. This is a multi-billion, perhaps ultimately in the long run, multi-trillion dollar technological infrastructure that is being laid down right now on the back and in the name of this ginned up crisis. But really, as I say, with nothing to do with that crisis, this is a technological infrastructure for creating that world order that is being laid down right now. They are not laying that down so that they can all tear it all up once everyone gets vaccinated, as if that's that's the end goal here. No, this is part, as I've posited, and as I went through in great detail in COVID-9-11, from homeland security to biosecurity, there, there is a new form of governance that is being put into place right now, biosecurity. And that will be the, again, the fig leaf that they are using to bring in the total, ultimate enslavement state of total surveillance, zero, uh, zero transparency for the superclass at the top, total transparency for the underlings at the bottom, who are going to live entirely digitized lives, completely tracked, uh, traced, and surveilled, so that nothing will ever be hidden from the prying eyes of the one world government. And so, yes, this is not a great reset that we're going to reset back to some 
some previous condition and start again and everything will be done. No, 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 no. In fact, specifically, they say over and over, the Great Reset, is that, again, that's just a brand name. And like most brand names, it means nothing in terms of what is act the product that is actually being sold. We, are, we, of course, think in the analogy of a reset, as in resetting your computer so that it starts again and goes back to the initial state. But that is explicitly, and they are at pains to talk about this, not what they are talking about with the Great Reset. Again, reading from the COVID-19, the Great Reset book by Klaus Schwab and his co-author. When confronted with it, some industry leaders and senior executives may be tempted to equate reset with restart, hoping to go back to the old normal and restore what worked in the past. Traditions, tested procedures, and familiar ways of doing things. In short, a return to business as usual. This won't happen because it can't happen. For the most part, business as usual died from, or at the very least was infected by, COVID-19. So, no. Reset, again, is just a brand name, and it does not imply some sort of restart or that we're going back to some initial condition. It is essentially a transformation. That is the key word, and the one that if they were being a little bit more honest in their marketing campaign, they would use. This isn't the great reset. This is the great transformation, or at least the attempt to roll that out on the public. So let's look at that word a little bit more and what that really means. And if only there were some way to visualize what this transformation looks like. Oh, there is. It's called the COVID-19 transformation map, which is available from the World Economic Forum's website. I will, of course, throw the link into the show notes so that you can go and visit it yourself. And when you do, you will see that there is this spaghetti graph where all these different concepts are related to all these other different concepts, and it shows you the lines and how these different things affect each other. And around the, the node of COVID-19, you can see all of the different things that are directly and then indirectly influenced by this global crisis that we're living through. And in that inner circle, we see the media's role during COVID-19, response and recovery, COVID-19's workforce impact, avoiding COVID-19 infection and spread, finding a vaccine, COVID-19's impact on trade, COVID-19's impact on travel, and COVID-19's impact on financial markets. But then in the larger ring, you see all of these different uh, areas that are in some way affected by these COVID-19 wrought transformations, like Transformation of behavioral science or inclusive design, international security, institutional investors, oil and gas, private investors, U.S., geopolitics, aerospace, Switzerland, migration, European Union. Again, going all the way around the circle into all of these other things, all the way over to corporate governance, internet governance, global health, global governance, human rights, values, all of these things. And this map shows you how all of these things are related. So you can click on any one of these nodes and you can see how it relates to all of the other nodes that it is connected to. And it will also bring up all of the information, all the different publications, videos, and data related to that node. So if you click on the media's role during COVID-19, you will see that it's connected to global governance and human rights and values and all of those things. And on the side, you'll see the different publications, the different uh, mainstream, of course, World Economic Forum connected types of uh, Scientific American and The Conversation and MIT Technology Review and these other publications uh, that have been collected around that subject. And when you start, and I do suggest you, if you haven't done so, that you go to this page and just click around on it a little bit just to get a sense of the scope and the scale 
of the transformation that's taking place here. And it is important to note that although some zero research GooTubers were initially putting out that this this entire COVID-19 transformation map was just created in the last month. And can you believe they did all this work in a month? This is clearly a coordinated agenda. Well, uh, no, actually, this transformation map has been around since 2017. You can go to the World Economic Forum website and read about it. You can even watch their little YouTube video introducing transformation maps from 2017, where they showed all of this laid out. It's just that COVID-19, that particular node, has been added to this map, obviously since this generated crisis came about. But uh, this is just a, a, a large database, essentially, of articles and information that are being collected by the stooges of the World Economic Forum and thrown onto this map in the appropriate node. So it creates this gigantic spaghetti graph. But actually, that underlines the most important point of this, that this is a pre-existing agenda, that they are now just slapping this Great Reset COVID-19 label on, which really doesn't in any way explain what is happening right now. What is happening is this transformation of, as we have just seen, everything, everything imaginable, global governance, internet governance, health, security, geopolitics, all of these different things are right now being transformed, again, in the name of this COVID-19, but it doesn't matter. So we are not talking about a reset. We are talking about a transformation and specifically what kind of transformation we are talking about, a revolution. And even more specifically, what kind of revolution are we talking about? Well, we don't have to go very far for that information. It comes again from the World Economic Forum, this time from 2016. In their video introduction, what is the fourth industrial revolution? The original industrial revolution was driven by the discovery that you could use steam engines to do all kinds of interesting things. But that was followed by additional revolutions for electricity and computers and communications technology. We're now in the early stages of the fourth industrial revolution, which is bringing together digital, physical, and biological systems. One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. The ability to visualize brain activity, for example, through a simple consumer-based EEG device, it gives us access to ourselves in ways that we've never before thought possible. It unlocks the black box that is the brain and enables us to um, really, truly be able to uh, realize an identity that is aspirational. There's now a scientific foundation for the effects of mindfulness on the brain, on the genome, on biological aging. And when the human mind does know itself, then you get the potential for a new renaissance that restructures itself in terms of our relationship to life, our relationship to the planet, our relationship to work. We need a different economic model. And by that I don't mean capitalism versus communism. What I'm talking about is a shift in the system along the lines of the two big changes that happened in the 20th century, Keynesianism, with a much greater focus on health and education and the role of government working with business, and then a reaction against that in late century to neoliberalism, where the focus was on free markets, freedom of the individual, and getting governments out of the way. We need a shift to a new system that will allow us to meet the basic needs of every human on the planet, that will live within planetary means, that will be fairer, and that will be focused as its key goal, not on growth per se, but on maximizing human well-being. And history tells us 
that a value shift is triggered by creation of a new story about how we want to live. Well, I know my core audience will already understand what is being presented here, but for the newer people in the audience and others who are just tuning in, let's spell it out. What they are talking about when they're talking about creating a new economic system around this idea of technology and merging with the machines and creating a better society for everyone, behind all of that mealy-mouthed propaganda is a simple truth that this new quote-unquote economic framework that they are looking for it has in fact already been articulated and advocated for by people in powerful positions for at least the last 90 years, going on 100. It is called technocracy. And again, I know that my regular audience will already be familiar with technocracy, what it is, where it came from, its history, and how it is going to develop in the 21st century. But once again, for people who are not familiar with that story, I will ask you to go back and watch or rewatch Why Big Oil Conquered the World, where I did flesh that out in a great degree of detail about what technocracy is, where it came from, the actual historical movement that was founded by the likes of M. King Hubbard, uh, working with uh, his charlatan friends, uh, crafting a new new economic system that would be based on exactly the types of principles that are being snuck in the back door through World Economic Forum propaganda like that, uh, which, again, sounds great. Of course, it's going to be governments that are going to use technology and harness this new potential to move us into the brave new world future where all, all our needs will be taken care of. This isn't communism. This isn't capitalism. This isn't Keynesianism or free marketism. It's something different. It's something new. It's Technocracy, which, of course, is explicitly what they're advocating for, centralized control in the hands of a technocratic elite who will be able to program the computers to run the uh, systems that will make distribute goods to the people that need them. It'll be a resource-based economy, etc., etc. Stop me if you've heard this before, which you absolutely have. But now it's being called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and it's being packaged as if it's something new. So I posit that exactly like the Great Reset is just a rebrand of the New World Order, and one that Klaus Schwab and his cronies are forwarding because it would put them in the driver's seat. Again, Fourth Industrial Revolution is just a rebranding of technocracy and takes all of those same ideas, melds it to transhumanism and some of the 21st century types of technologies that weren't available when technocracy proper was initially formed back in the 1930s, but it's the same, it's the same old dross. Let's put it that way. Now, my mind boggles at trying to really encapsulate what this means in terms of the Great Reset and where we're going from here, because it cannot be stressed enough, I cannot underline this enough, that this really is a transformation not just of every aspect of what it is that we do and how we exist on this earth, from business and economy and environment to uh, geopolitics to education, everything, society itself, it is actually a transformation of what it means to be human that is on the table right now and coming into view not on the back of some random quack on the street corner or some charlatan in some no-name corner of academia somewhere. No, these are the richest, most powerful people conspiring openly an open conspiracy to bring about this transformation of humanity. So 
I will pause it. There are many different ways that we can look at this and get a grasp on it in those specific areas of the economy or education or what have you. But first, I think we need that 20,000-foot overview to really understand just how fundamental this change is and how seriously these very rich and powerful people are taking it. And in order to get a better understanding of that, I guess we could turn back to the 2016 book in which Klaus Schwab and his co-author introduced this idea of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, uh, which was, again, part of a big rollout that the World Economic Forum had at the time. You might have missed it because the WEF wasn't quite in the same driver's seat that it's in now uh, in 2016. Uh, but if you need to get caught up on that agenda, well, you can, of course, go back to the source material or you can take uh, a, a pretty detailed summary that was posted up to Off Guardian just this past week on October 12th uh, by Winter Oak called Klaus Schwab and His Great Fascist Reset. And although I think there are some issues I would have with the f overall framing of this argument, it does get into the specifics of what Klaus Schwab is saying and the context and what, what it really means. So in this article, Winter Oak writes... Schwab waxes lyrical about the 4IR, Fourth Industrial Re Revolution, which he insists is unlike anything humankind has experienced before. He gushes, quote, Consider the unlimited possibilities of having billions of people connected by mobile devices, giving rise to unprecedented processing power, storage capabilities, and knowledge access. Or think about the staggering confluence of emerging technology breakthroughs covering wide-ranging fields such as artificial intelligence, AI, robotics, the Internet of Things, IoT, autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, nanotechnology, biotechnology, material science, energy storage, and quantum computing, to name a few. Many of these innovations are in their infancy, but they are already reaching an inflection point in their development as they build on and amplify each other in a fusion of technologies across the physical, digital, and biological worlds. He also looks forward to more online education involving the use of virtual and augmented reality to dramatically improve educational outcomes, to sensors installed in homes, clothes, and accessories, cities, transport, and energy networks, and to smart cities with their all-important data platforms. All things will be smart and connected to the internet, says Schwab, and this will extend to animals, as sensors wired in cattle can communicate to each other through a mobile phone network. He loves the idea of smart cell factories, which could enable the accelerated generation of vaccines and big data technologies. These, he ensures us, will deliver new and innovative ways to service citizens and customers, and we will have to stop objecting to businesses profiting from harnessing and selling information about every aspect of our personal lives. Establishing trust in the data and algorithms used to make decisions will be vital, insists Schwab. Citizen concerns over privacy and establishing accountability in business and legal structures will require adjustments in thinking. At the end of the day, it is clear that all this technological excitement revolves purely around profit, or value, as Schwab refers, prefers to term it in his 21st century corporate newspeak. Thus, blockchain technology will be fantastic and provoke an explosion in tradable assets, as all kinds of value exchange can be hosted on the blockchain. Blockchain, Bitcoin, same thing, right? The use of distributed ledger technology adds Schwab 
uh, adds Schwab, could be the driving force behind massive flows of value in digital products and services, providing secure digital identities that can make new markets accessible to anyone connected to the internet. In general, the interest of the 4IR for the ruling business elite is that it will create entirely new sources of value and give rise to ego ecosystems of value creation that are impossible to imagine with a mindset stuck in the third industrial revolution. The technologies of the 4IR, rolled out via 5G, pose unprecedented threats to our freedom, as Schwab concedes. The tools of the Fourth Industrial Revolution enable new forms of surveillance and other means of control that run counter to healthy open societies. But this does not step him, stop him presenting them in a positive light, as when he declares that public crime is likely to decrease due to the convergence of sensors, cameras, AI, and facial recognition software. He describes with some relish how these technologies can intrude into the hitherto private space of our minds, reading our thoughts, and influencing our behavior. Schwab predicts, as capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use technologies to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. Even crossing a national border might one day involve a detailed brain scan to assess an individual's security risk. There are times when the WEF chief gets carried away by his passion for a sci-fi future in which long-distance human space travel and nuclear fusion are commonplace, and in which the next trending business model might involve someone trading access to his or her thoughts for the time-saving option of typing a social media post by thought alone. Talk of space tourism, under the title The Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Final Frontier, is almost funny, as is his suggestion that a world full of drones offers a world full of possibilities. But the further the reader progresses into the world depicted in Schwab's books, the less of a laughing matter it all seems. The truth is that this highly influential figure, at the center of the new global order currently being established, is an out-and-out -out transhumanist who dreams of an end to natural, healthy human life and community. Schwab repeats this message time and time again, as if to be sure we have, we have been duly warned. The mind-boggling innovations triggered by the fourth industrial revolution, from biotechnology to AI, are redefining what it means to be human. The future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human from both a biological and a social standpoint. Already, advances in neurotechnologies and biotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. Just in case you didn't get it. Anyway, that's the end of the quote. I would encourage you to go read through that full article, and if you can stomach it, start going through Klaus Schwab's previous writings about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, including his book on the subject. But I think you're starting to get the sense... In case you missed it, this is about changing humanity at the core of what it means to be human. So as you can imagine, the knock-on effects from this are not just manifold, it's everything, everything about who we are, our society, the way it's structured, the way we interact with other people in every respect is being altered forever on the basis of this great reset that is being actively and openly conspired on by some of the richest and most influential people on the planet. But don't worry, they will have no shortage of feel-good buzzword catchphrases about uh, environmental responsibility and sustainability and equality and inclusion and all of the other 
catchphrases that we've been taught, oh, to cl clap like trained seals when we hear them without thinking for one moment what they are actually talking about here. Oh yeah, international travel, you'll probably have to have brain scans to determine if you're a security threat risk, but whatever. Anyway, moving right along, it'll be so great because you'll be able to post things to social media via your thoughts. But then again, what if you have a censored thought that the uh, social media won't allow you to post? Maybe you'll get a visit from the thought police. Literally talking about things that have always been portrayed as sci-fi dystopian madness is being actively promoted out in the open now. No attempt to hide this. This is not some sort of dingy, dark corner of a, a rumor about some sort of global conspiracy. Here it is in black and white. And anyone who is not paying attention to this and not taking it seriously is ultimately not on the field of battle in terms of the ultimate battle for the future of the human species. I cannot stress enough how important this is. So in an attempt to just throw out some of the ideas and concepts of the ways in which this is going to utterly transform everything about our lives in the coming years, if these people get their way, I'll turn to a number of sources. First, let's look at a, a surprisingly interesting and perhaps tipping the hand more than intended uh, article from the Financial Times. Yes, the Financial Times, uh, by Yuval Noah Harari, uh, called The World After Coronavirus, which goes into a great degree of detail the incredible invasions of privacy that are on the table as a result of this hysteria. Uh, and just reading from one part, talking about the types of surveillance that are going to be possible in the future, Harari writes, quote, one of the problems we face in working out where we stand on surveillance is that none of us know exactly how we are being surveilled and what the coming years might bring. Surveillance technology is developing at breakneck speed, and what seemed science fiction 10 years ago is today old news. As a thought experiment, consider a hypothetical government that demands that every citizen wears a biometric bracelet that monitors body temperature and heart rate 24 hours a day. The resulting data is hoarded and analyzed by government algorithms. The algorithms will know that you are sick even before you know it, and they will also know where you have been and who you have met. The chains of infection could be drastically shortened and even cut altogether. Such a system could arguably stock, stop the epidemic in its tracks within days. Sounds wonderful, right? The downside is, of course, that this would give legitimacy to a terrifying new surveillance system. If you know, for example, that I clicked on a Fox News link rather than a CNN link, that can teach you something about my political views and perhaps even my personality. But if you can monitor what happens to my body temperature, blood pressure, and heart rate as I watch the video clip, you can learn what makes me laugh, what makes me cry, and what makes me really, really angry. It is crucial to remember that anger, joy, boredom, and love are biological phenomenon, just like fever and a cough. The same technology that identifies coughs could also identify laughs. If corporations and governments start harvesting our biometric data en masse, they can get to know us far better than we know ourselves, and they can then not just predict our feelings, but also manipulate our feelings and sell us anything they want, be it a product or a politician. Biometric monitoring would make Cambridge Analytica's data hacking tactics look like something from the Stone Age. Imagine North Korea in 2030, when every citizen has to wear a biometric bracelet 24 hours a day. 
If you listen to a speech by the great leader and the bracelet picks up the telltale signs of anger, you are done for. End quote. And that's just a small section of that rather extensive article talking about the various ways that this technology could utterly transform our lives. But don't worry. I mean, that's that's North Korea kind of stuff. That wouldn't happen over here, right? Dot, dot, dot. Um, and in fact, like so much of this propaganda, it plays out like a threat. Because, of course, he's warning about these things. Oh, this could happen. Imagine a state that gets its hands on this type of surveillance technology and the ways that this could be abused. But we could use this technology for ourselves and we could harness the power of it to self-analyze and monitor. And as long as we all cooperate and all voluntarily do what is expected of us in terms of social distancing and quarantining and masking and whatever else, then maybe we can avoid that kind of dystopian future being forced upon us by the powers that shouldn't be. It plays out exactly like a threat. Of course, they're saying, hey guys, either you comply with us or we will be forced to make your existence a living nightmare of total Orwellian surveillance and control over every aspect, not just of what you do, but what you think, how you breathe, how your heart rate, everything coming under the watchful gaze of Big Brother and his all-seeing eye. That is the future that is on the table that they are threatening us with. And don't worry, when the next bioterror false flag is sprung on us and whatever starts spreading through the population, then they'll have, the, the narrative will already be there, everything will already be set, and they'll say, look, see, you guys didn't practice enough social distancing, so we're now we're going to have to come in and forcibly do this to you. That is the trap that's being sprung for, for us. And... So once again, my mind boggles at attempting to in any way encapsulate every aspect of what is being put on the table here. But let's just break it down into some of the broad categories and some of the things that are happening uh, right now and that are due to happen in the near future. Uh, for example, let's look at a category like education. Now, when you take everything and make it digital, then you are automatically making it immediately censorable from a distance and not even necessarily by a human, just an algorithm can detect wrong thought or wrong speech here or there and shut it down at the source. And we are, of course, living through that as I record this, another GooTube purge is taking place. <gasps> oh, if only someone had warned us that YouTube might censor people. Oh, I never thought of that. Uh, oh, well. Um, uh, it is happening right now, and as an example that I cited in my interview on The Great Reset with uh, Pete Quinones last week, uh, I talked about the case of a speaker at San Francisco State University invited by one of the, uh, the university's groups to talk at a virtual lecture that was taking place, but there was protest. Oh, a Palestinian, uh-oh. So the Israeli lobby rallied, and there were Fox News articles written in protest, and it was canceled. It was deplatformed, not even by the university, but by Zoom, by Facebook, by YouTube. The platforms themselves shut down the ability for an invited speaker to speak at a university event. 
And now it doesn't involve, I, we know a few years ago, cancel culture involved people physically going to these lectures and pulling the fire alarm and stopping people from speaking because, oh my God, I can't listen to ideas that I don't agree with. But now, don't worry, there, there doesn't have to be any of that messy human interaction. There's no chance for an actual physical altercation or someone to actually, I don't know, reason with someone else. No, 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 don't have to do that. Now we can just flip a switch and well, that is gone. You cannot give that speech. Literally. So that's one aspect of this. And it was encapsulated uh, in a, a, an insightful comment that was left on uh, that Great Reset uh, video with Pete Quinones on odyssey.com, which is the uh, sort of web platform for the library protocol, LBRY. Uh, you'll know about that if you follow my work. If not, I'll leave a link to talk more about what that is. But on Odyssey, the, uh, the, uh, the Odyssey video version of that Great Reset talk that I had with Pete Quinones Uncle Franco left the uh, state uh, the comment at the very least the fourth industrial revolution will place the robber barons in between every human interaction this gives the robber barons a fee for every interaction and the power to approve or deny every human interaction it is every human's duty to prevent this infrastructure to gain government monopoly status and universal public acceptance undermine everyone who is part of the robber baron class if they sell eggs, smash them or make them una unable to sell them. Keep them up at night. Let your dog urinate on their lawn and so on and so on. Never surrender. Once you begin to fight back, your life will have meaning. Try a small gesture today and see how great it feels or not. The choice is yours. Someone gets it. I mean, oh, here's one of those conspiracy theorists. Oh, yay, I just used that word. Now that completely undermines everything he said. Yay, he's a conspiracy theorist. See how good that feels? Yay. I mean, it is. It's crazy crackpot tinfoil hat conspiracy nonsense to talk about that. I mean, robber barons. Oh, I bet you're talking about the robber barons of our day and age, like, I don't know, like Bill Gates. Are you saying that, what, they're going to put Bill Gates in charge of educating America's children? Really? Oh. Oh. Wait, yeah, I'm getting word. Yeah, that's exactly what is happening. Well, let's take this experience and really learn how we can do differently and better with our education system in terms of technology and virtual education, uh, et cetera. And that's something we're actively working on through this process. So it's not about just reopening schools. When we are reopening schools, let's open a better school and let's open a smarter education system. And I want to thank the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. We'll be working with them on this project. Bill Gates uh, is a visionary in many ways, and uh, his ideas and thoughts on technology and education he's spoken about for years, but I think we now have a moment in history where we can actually incorporate and advance those ideas, right? When does change come to a society? Uh, because we all talk about change and advancement, but really we like control, right? And we like the status quo, and it's hard to change the status quo. But you get moments in history where people say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for change. I get it. I think this is one of those moments. Oh, yeah. 
Literally, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is going to be working with the state of New York to reimagine education for this brave new digital technological world where all learning will be virtual, or at least a good proportion of it, and, well, we need the technology to better mind control, I mean, sorry, educate the youth of tomorrow. And for those who don't know, maybe you don't know because I didn't even have time to include this aspect of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation agenda in my two-hour Who is Bill Gates documentary, but in fact, the main focus area for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in the U.S. domestically is education. It is in fact something that the foundation has been deeply uh, dedicated to and invested in for decades at this point, looking at how better to implement uh, technological controls in the classroom, monitoring of classroom and student performance and teacher performance and evaluation metrics, etc., etc., in order to better educate the youth of tomorrow. Yes, this is happening, and you better believe it's not just going to be New York State that's going to be partnering up with Bill and Melinda Gates and their ilk for this purpose of better integrating technology into the virtual classroom. In fact, that takes many different forms, and we may have joked and laughed earlier about the ridiculous appearance of Grover on the Great Reset podcast. You may be wondering what that was all about. Well, actually, that leads into a segment with Sesame Street's President of Social Impact and Philanthropy, Sherry Weston, uh, talking about the Sesame Street program and its work around the world in various different countries and cultures, trying to impart these types of ideas about hand washing and other hygiene kind of things that we can impart to children. And oh yeah, completely reimagining the social fabric of various countries like Afghanistan and Pakistan and other places. Uh, she talks openly about the social engineering that they engage in to, uh, to change people's minds in those countries, not just the children, who are obviously the direct target audience, but also the parents. And they talk about how they can manipulate and, and change parents' opinions. And of course, it's all for good things. It's, you know, getting people in, in Afghanistan or Pakistan to accept women and girls being going to school and that kind of thing. Yay, yeah, we can all get behind that. Dot, dot, dot. And what else? What else can they put into this messaging that will suddenly become this social fabric changing idea that uh, gets embedded with harmless children's programming. Oh, remember kids, wash your hands, wear a mask, and keep six feet at all times from other human beings because they're icky biological beings that can shed their disgusting viri viruses around you and we have to be protected against them at all times. Yay, hey, it's Sesame Street. Uh, you think I'm joking. Listen to the interview and listen to it from that perspective. I think you will find it as equally creepy as I did, but once again, education is just one aspect of this agenda. Let's look at business, the economy, generally. It was something that we touched on on New World Next Week this week. James Evan Pilato and myself went over the, the stunning, remarkable, who would have guessed it fact that the rich are indeed getting richer as a result of the COVID-19 uh, scamdemic. And of course, it is the largest corporations, the Amazons and what have you, the big restaurant chains that are benefiting because they're essential. They're allowed to remain open. Mom and pop, of course, have to close and they will probably never reopen. Uh, so this is a consolidation of the corporatocracy. Again, perfectly predicted, predictable and predicted. Everyone knew this was going to happen. As I pointed out in New World Next Week, Klaus Schwab writes about this in some detail in The Great Reset, talking about how small businesses will be the most affected. Um, so, again, this is part of the, the plan for consolidation and centralization of power. Stop me if you've heard this. 
Another key aspect of the way this is going to uh, play into the, the business environment, the automation of the workforce through these types of technologies, not just the blue collar jobs, but the white collar jobs too. And a large section of the workforce is going to be increasingly automated out of work. And so what does that mean? When suddenly it's not just 5% or 10% or even 20% unemployment, but when we're looking at 50% of the workforce that can't find meaningful work, what are you going to do then? Well, there's only one option. Well, we just have to take it to the next level and have some sort of UBI. And you will know from this podcast and the previous work that I've done on the on the Corona World Order and on the Greatest Depression and things like this, that of course the digital dollar, the Fed coin is waiting in the wings, literally Fed coin, digital dollar, your your wallet that you'll get that will be tied directly to the Federal Reserve so they can pump their stimul- stimulus money in at first, which will eventually form morph into some sort of UBI, which will eventually be tied to your social credit and your, your vaccination certification and all of that. I, again, I've detailed this in the past. We will be going through that more in the future. Um, other aspects of the business trans- transformation surround all the the kind of buzzword ideas that the uh, the World Economic Forum specifically has been pumping for the last several years, uh, stakeholder capitalism. Uh, in stakeholder capitalism, the businesses aren't just uh, behold. Well, they're certainly not beholden to their customers. That's an that's an antiquated idea. That's a naive idea, anyway. But they're not even just uh, beholden to their investors, their shareholders. No, no, no. It's stakeholders, which is everyone, everyone in the community, every. Everyone has a stake in this business and what it's doing to the environment and the way it treats its workers and all of that. So we all kind of have some sort of quasi-ownership, but not really, of these corporations. And so they all have to kind of listen to us. And who's going to tell these corporations what the will of the people is? Well, of course, it's the World Economic Forum. And again, you get this sense vividly when you're reading through their their materials on these subjects that it's going to be the the types of people who sit on at Davos and have these kinds of conversations are going to be the one who are going to set the metrics for how we evaluate ESG, ESG being environmental, social, and corp, uh, governance responsibility, which is now a key part of what every every business will have to do. And of course, again, it sounds so great. Yes, yes, we want to take care of the environment. We want to be socially responsible. We want to be governed properly. Uh, what does that mean exactly? How do we measure that? And how do we comply with that? Oh, here's this 14,000 page text that's going to be, uh, you're going to have to have teams of compliance officers to sort through. Don't worry, the big corporations will have their billion dollar law firms that will be able to uh, devote however many man hours it takes to sort through all of this and comply and and go jump through all the hoops. Mom and pop in the corner, of course, will never be able to do this and they will be weeded out of existence. But oh, you know, can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So again, utter transformation of business and the economy as we've known it, um, which of course has knock-on effects on society itself. And this is not something that they hide. Uh, you will have heard earlier today, uh, John Kerry and others talking about the new social contract contract that will come about as a result of this pandemic. And this is something, again, they write about in the Great Reset book uh, and have talked about at length that there will be a new social contract that comes about as a result of the ways people are reimagining their position in society and their relation to government, what government can and cannot tell people to do. Remember this imaginary contract that you didn't sign and have never seen because it doesn't exist that somehow is obliging you to do this and that and not to do that and this or that? Well, uh, guess what? It's being changed. By whom? Under what 
you know, what say do I have in this? Will I get to sign it when it's finished? Oh, wait, no, again, it will never be written down, and it's not an actual document, and it's not really a contract, but you will be expected to abide by whatever rules the World Economic Forum and its cronies come up for, with for how to live our lives in the future. What does that actually mean? I've listened to a bunch of talk about this. It still is 100% blather at this point. So, of course, they're not going to nail it down. They're not going to say what is the social contract and how is it being rewritten. They're just warning you that don't worry. Everything you think about the the verities of existence and what what it means to live in a nation state and all this is going to be completely transformed. But, you know, you you don't get to say in that. Um... They talk about other societal aspects of the pandemic and the scandemic that, and the, the very real psychological effects that this is going to have on the unfortunately easily duped masses uh, who will develop their the various phobias about germs and how that will reshape the fabric of our lives so that, you know, wh- how will we ever... We'll obviously never go back to a place where we can be in a crowded room with maskless people and feel safe with each other. So we'll have to completely transform society and rethink and we'll we'll have distancing and hygiene and obsessive hand washing and everything will be part of our daily lives and masks will become commonplace and fashion accessories and blah, blah, blah. And all the things that you've heard about the ways this will reshape our our lives. Um, And another incredibly important, much more important, really, in the longer term Um, part of this fourth industrial revolution as it relates to society is the creation of new classes, not necessarily based on the old economic standards, but based on biological differences that will take place as a result of the upgrades that are coming, the brain chips and what have you. And this has been talked about for a number of years by bioethicists and uh, the like, uh, talking about the gen rich and the gen poor, as in people who get the genetic engineering enhancements and thus are these superior human beings, will essentially be lord, lord-like, almost, almost godlike, uh, compared to the lowly biological humans that the Terrans, as they say, that inhabit this this planet. Uh, well, we're going off-world and we're going to merge with the machines. So ultimately, it's not just gen-rich and gen-poor. It's transhumanist-rich, transhumanist-poor. And uh, again, they're, they're talking about the creation of this new natural hierarchy that will take place as a result of this. So again, complete, utter transformation of everything you've ever known about society and how it functions. Uh, geopolitically, of course, everything's on the table. One specific chapter in the Great Reset book focuses on the question of which power will ultimately win out uh, as a result of this great crisis, this generated crisis. Will China win out, as some people are saying? Well, they they were first through it and they, they recovered the fastest, however that happened. And all, you know, you know the narrative. And thus they're going to be able to get on their, their feet and and restructure their economy. But then then no people are saying, no, 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 it'll be the U.S. because China relies so much on exports, especially trade with the U.S. And if that's getting shut down, then the U.S. will be able to win that war of attrition. Others will say, no, no one wins. In fact, it won't be a big unitary superpower that runs the world as we've known, for example, in Pax Americana. No, it will be a new system where, in fact, it's the small, agile, nimble uh, states that will be able to best react to the changing times and thus will be the ultimate winners of this. So it's not one winner, but it'll be a bunch of smaller states and all of the things that are being proposed. But at any rate, it is kind of like a, who will win this power for the uh, ownership of the globe? Stay tuned to find out. We'll tell you. Don't worry. 
another aspect of the geopolitical fights that are taking place right now is uh, was explored on a very recent edition of the Great Reset podcast where they were talking about different f- forms of globalization. Not that globalization is dead, as we said. No, this is just the next stage of it. But what will that next stage look like? And they talked about concepts like gated globalization, where you will have groups of countries that with similar with similar outs, outlooks, with similar uh, agendas and ideologies, and with similar approaches to the pandemic, scamdemic, uh, who will band together uh, and form these these closed off global trading partners. They'll, they're scattered all over the globe, but they will be a trading network essentially, and you might have competing networks in this gated globalization vision, um, which people might remember, again, this is not a new concept. This is exactly what was happening in the 1930s with the various tariffs and and trade barriers and the, the sort of alliances that were forming and breaking as a result of all of the economic chaos of the 1930s, which, oh yeah, kind of led to World War. So once again, another harbinger of World War III, which I have talked about extensively in the past. We will talk about more in the future. Um, Again, that's on the table. Uh, Again, I cannot possibly encapsulate in this one podcast all of the various ways that this is all changing, but I guess that boils down to the bottom line of this entire exploration. One, this is a transformation, not just of business or economy or society or geopolitics, but everything all at once. It is, in fact, a transformation of humanity itself. It has nothing to do with any virus or any disease. It is a pre-planned agenda that is being rolled out now under a new guise, with a new name, with a new brand to sell the same old swill to the public of control in a very few elite technocratic class hands and that they will, don't worry, shape everything for our best interest. I mean, did you hear how many times they said equality and inclusivity and sustainability? They must have our best interests in mind right? It is a conspiracy. It is an open conspiracy, but it is a conspiracy nonetheless. Uh, it it, It is not deniable at this point. I will, of course, as always, have the source documents, the things that I'm reading from, all linked up in the show notes. There will be lots of show notes for today's episode that I invite you, exhort you even, to explore at your own leisure, because once again, this is an open conspiracy. It touches on every aspect of your life from here on forward, will be under this process of transformation. And as our good old friend, what was it, Uncle Uncle Frank? <laughs> Uncle Franco <laughs> did exhort, now is the time for resistance in every way and any way possible, in every way that you can resist against this agenda. It, it, this is the time for it, because as I say, everything is on the table right now. Um, as I say, this touches on everything, literally everything. Uh, and you saw my Corona World Order podcast earlier this year and the other work that I've done. This is everything that I've been warning about since the corporate report started, all happening all at once, all converging on this idea of the Great Reset or whatever you call it. Again, the Great Reset, let's not focus entirely on that particular manifestation of this idea, because like New World Order or whatever else they're going to call it next week, it's just a label that they can slap on the same package of ideas. Um, 
And the World Economic Forum, of course, in the super class structure, just vying for its place at the table. No, you see, we're setting the agenda by we're rolling out this new global brand for the New World Order and everyone's talking about the Great Reset. So don't focus all of your attention and firepower on the Great Reset per se, but on the ideas underlining it, which of course line up with everything that the technocratic ruling would-be elite, the elitists, have been trying to urge us into for a very long time. Having said all of that, again, this is an ongoing exploration. I cannot possibly encapsulate it all in this podcast. In some ways, it's everything that I've been talking about for the previous 13 years and hopefully will be talking about for the next 50 years. Unless we do actually derail this agenda in some incredibly substantive way, but it's going to take all of our firepower immediately uh, in the Infowar, of course. Having said that, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. As I say, there's so much information to go through. Please go to the show notes at CorbettReport.com and avail yourself of the many, many sources, documents, and resources that will be there at CorbettReport.com slash Great Reset. That is the link to go directly to the show notes for today's episode. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, humbly, humbly asking you to join me again next time. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's international forecaster editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.